And so there was a uh, little boy, and he's playing in the backyard, doing what little boys do in the backyard. He's climbing trees. He is uh, swinging on the swing set and jumping off. He's rolling in the ground, wrestling with his dog. And at some point, his mother calls and says, it's time for supper. So he rushes in because he's very hungry, gets right to the table. And before he can begin to eat, she reminds him that we always say our prayers to Jesus. So he folds his hand, at which point she says, look at your hands. They're filthy. Well, he takes them and wipes them on his jeans. And she says, that won't do. There's germs all over your hand. How many times do I have to tell you to go and wash your hands and get rid of all those germs before you come to the table? So he rolls his eyes and he gets up and walks out of the kitchen, then turns around and sticks his head back through the door and says, Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs, all I ever hear about around here and never seen either one of them. (laughs) Well, the Bible says this about faith, that it's being sure of what you hope for and it's being certain of what you do not see. Now, if that's what faith is, being certain of what you do not see, then by its very definition, faith must be a struggle. Because shouldn't your confidence in what you can see be greater than your conviction about what you cannot see. And remember, we said last week that your life is governed by your greater than. You constantly make decisions based on what you think is the greatest of the options. And so we're in this series called Greater Than. And we're going to talk about some very difficult things we deal with shame and sin and regret and suffering and uncertainty. And we're going to hear over and over the word of God say, put your faith in him because he is greater than. In fact, we can even believe that God is greater than our struggle to believe. And that's because there's something about faith you need to know. Faith fluctuates. Everybody who's ever grown mighty in faith grew through moments of doubt. Now, I know you might be thinking, well, what about Abraham? It says in Romans chapter 4, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Well, what does that mean he did not waver? Because I've read the story of Abraham. I remember how when he went down to Egypt, he lied about Sarah being his wife because he was afraid of Pharaoh. And then many years later, he did the exact same thing with King Abimelech. Or how about that whole Hagar affair where he tries to produce the offspring God promised through another woman instead of through the woman God said the offspring would come through. There's a lot of speed bumps in Abraham's faith life. You see, Abraham's faith was like a bull market. Now, a bull market is where stocks actually make money. I've heard about it. I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. 
Imagine a series of years where there's been a bull market. And so here's where your stocks were when you bought them. And here's what they're worth many years later. And you've made money. And the trend was up. But it wasn't a constant up. It was up and down, up and down, up and down. And if you look at that over a course of time, you would say that they went up. But they didn't go up every single day. And that's the same way with faith in Abraham's life and in your life and in my life. Because faith is more of a journey than it is a destination. You don't get to a place where you say, well, now I've arrived. I've got great faith. That's why you have, for example, scriptures like 2 Timothy where Paul tells his young friend, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, you know you're supposed to pursue righteousness and love, but the Bible says you're supposed to pursue faith because faith is a journey. You don't ever arrive. Or how about that verse from Jesus' brother Jude? He says in verse 20 of his little book, Dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. You're always trying to grow in your faith because faith fluctuates. Now, some of you here may not be relating to what I'm saying because faith has always been easy for you. And I'm not talking about people who just blindly accept and never think. I'm talking about there's possible that some of you just find faith comes easy. I'm really thankful for you. But you need to know, many of us are from a different tribe. I've had speed bumps in my faith journey. Most of you know I'm a left brain wired person. I struggle when things don't make sense. I wrestle when I can't find a reason, when there's not a logic that explains what's going on. I'm not saying there was ever a time in my life where I just looked up to heaven and shook my fist and said, I don't believe in God. I'm simply saying in my life and in my journey in faith, I've had some speed bumps. What I need is a savior whose faithfulness is greater than my faith. And the good news is I have one. There's a great story in Mark chapter 9. Jesus has been up on the mountain of transfiguration. The disciples saw his glorified presence there. They were so amazed. They even wanted to stay there. You remember they said, let's just build houses. Let's just stay up here. Who wouldn't want to stay up on a mountain with a glorified Jesus? But Jesus doesn't let us stay on a mountain, does he? It says in verse 14, that when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And a man in the crowd answered, teacher, now watch this phrase. I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. When the spirit seizes him, it throws him into the ground. It foams his mouth, gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit. But they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus 
replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like that? And his father said, from childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, are you saying you've never needed that prayer? Because I got to tell you, I doubt it. Because I have come to understand how real and how legitimate doubt can be. And let me tell you right out of this text two reasons why believing in Jesus is hard. Here's the first, what I'd just call the presence of senseless evil. Now I'm leery of books and sermons that make the question of God seem simple. I understand the birth of every baby whispers the existence of God. But by the same token, the death of every baby calls the existence of God into question. We've sang some marvelous songs this morning. And even as we were singing and praising God, babies died in this world. They starved to death. They died of treatable diseases. Children were sown as sex slaves as we have worshipped this morning. Somewhere this morning, a mother and father walked into a bedroom and told their little kids that they weren't going to live together anymore. And this is our world, a world where evil is senseless and often it chooses children. See, I don't believe, and I've had lots of conversations with people who tell me they don't believe, and, and they'll say it's because of science, but when you really get beneath it, that's rarely the reason. The biggest reason people don't believe is because they don't think the world is getting run like it ought to get run if God was really real. It certainly isn't getting run like they would run it if they were God. See, faith would be easy for me if I could just live on the mountaintop with glorified Jesus, but I don't get to stay there. And down in the valley, suffering is real and it's rampant and it's rarely rational. And if you didn't hear the teaching last week, you need to go back and listen to it. And we talked about the problem of evil. And that you're never going to be able to cope with evil by trying to understand and explain it. Evil doesn't make sense. What we do need to remember is that most of the suffering in the valley is caused by Satan and by our own sin. We're creating the evil in the valley. God didn't create evil. But he did create us free to choose evil. And we often do. Now, the good news of the gospel is that someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and evil's going to be destroyed and we're going to have a lot of answers. But right now, we're living in this world and there's a lot of questions.
Questions that we shouldn't ignore, questions that should not be delegitimized. I understand why faith is hard in a world full of senseless evil. And also, it's not just the presence of senseless evil. It's the absence of believing believers. Did you notice what that dad said? I brought you my son. I asked your disciples. As far as that dad was concerned, if you take a boy to Jesus' disciples, you've taken him to Jesus. And that's why the first words out of Jesus' mouth were, oh, unbelieving generation. He's talking about his own disciples. In other words, unbelieving believers make it hard for unbelievers to believe in Jesus. That's a confusing sentence, so I'm going to try it again. (laughs) Unbelieving believers make it hard for unbelievers to believe in Jesus. It's the age-old question. If Christianity is true, why are Christians such bad advertisements? Maybe some of the atrocities and some of the hypocrisies you've seen in Christians have made faith hard for you. I would just ask you to remember that Christians at their worst are not reflecting the teaching of Jesus. They're rejecting the teaching. Of Jesus. And I'd ask you to remember one more thing. Hypocrisy is not just a problem for people of faith. Have societies who sought to completely eliminate faith produced a better world? That's a fair question to ask. I know John Lennon's saying, well, just imagine there's a world with no religion. Well, we don't have to imagine. We've looked at that world. Stalin outlawed religion. He also killed 20 million of his people. Mao Zedong did the same thing and killed 70 million. Hitler killed 10 million. Paul Pot set up an atheistic regime and wiped out 20% of the population of Cambodia. See, it's a total myth to think if we would just get rid of faith, then people would come better. They'll start loving their neighbor and they'll start adopting orphans and they'll start building hospitals and they'll start... Helping and loving their enemies. And everybody will listen to national public radio. That's not how it works. We don't have to imagine what a world without faith looks like. And it looks pretty bad. Sometimes when people say, well, I've lost my faith. It's because they put their faith in the wrong thing. They put their faith in a church, and churches are filled with flawed people, and there'll be scandals in churches. Or they put their faith in a preacher, and a preacher will say something or do something terrible. That happened just this past week. I'm going to go on a side rant over here. Pat Robinson is wrong, okay? You don't get rid of your mate just because they're sick. And when people like that who claim to represent Jesus say and do things like that, I understand why unbelievers find faith hard. But ultimately, faith is not a trust in a dogma or in a doctrine or in a denomination. Faith is trust in a person. 
You heard me a few weeks ago mention my favorite theologian of my lifetime may have been a man named John Stott from England. He passed away recently. In 2004, there was an article about him in the New York Times, and it was read by Paul Simon, multi-Grammy winning songwriter and singer. Now, if you've listened to Paul Simon's music, you hear a deep spiritual bent. This is a man whose music is saying, I'm looking for something to believe in. So he requested a meeting with uh, Dr. Stott. He flew to London, had tea with him in his modest two-room apartment. And immediately he got off uh, ranting about all the hypocrisies of Christians and all the terrible things Christians have done. And, and Dr. Stott politely interrupted him and said, you know, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is what do you think about Jesus Christ? You see, when faith has been hard for me to hold on to, when I have gone through some tough stuff, and I have gone through some tough stuff, I keep coming back to Jesus. And He is the most compelling. He is the most courageous. He is the most decent and noble and selfless life I've ever met. And I can't let go of that. And for me, faith has been a journey and sometimes it's been a struggle. But, but I am compelled to pray. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And just like the father in the story, I have found that Jesus is greater than my doubts. You remember how the story ends, don't you? The father sits there and admits his doubt, and Jesus heals the boy. Jesus is greater than doubt. And and so let me just suggest a couple of things this morning. If you're like me and faith is a journey, the first thing that we need to do is admit our doubts. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, that faith hall of fame, everybody in there was a great doubter. Abraham, we've already talked about him. David, oh my goodness, have you read the Psalms? That guy knew how to do some serious doubting. What about Gideon? How did he ever get into the hall of faith? Or look at Matthew 28 with me. Just as Jesus is ascending, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. The Bible is honest about the existence of doubt. We should be too. In fact, I would suggest the admission of doubt is essential to the possession of an ultimately purer faith. I read the book of Job. And he's wrestling with God and he's struggling with God. And he says some things that upset God. But at the end of the story, I find that his torture confession was not nearly as offensive to God as the pious certainty of Job's friends who thought they had God all figured out. See, the church needs to be a community that welcomes everybody on the faith journey no matter where they are. In fact, again, in that little letter, Jude says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Think about Thomas. 
When they gave him the word that Jesus is raised from the dead, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't go there. We call him Doubting Thomas. But when Jesus shows back up a week later, where's Thomas? He's hanging with his buddies. See, they didn't say to Thomas, oh, are you struggling with doubt? You can't, you can't be around us anymore. You're disfellowshipped. No, you struggle with doubt. The place you need to be most of all is in a small group. I believe the person that admits and faces their doubts is going to reach a conviction that the person that unthinkingly accepts will never know. I would much rather you have an investigated faith than an inherited faith. See, like that father, you need to admit your doubt. But then, like that father, you need to push toward Jesus. So you admit your doubts, but then you commit to a faith step. You don't have to have all your doubts removed to move toward Jesus. Jesus never told a single person, believe this doctrine. He said, follow me. See, I I don't think The real struggle for faith is ultimately the absence of evidence. I think it's the presence of fear. We're afraid to take that step toward Jesus because if we move toward Jesus, we're afraid he might not show up. Or we're afraid that he might. Some years ago when I lived in Abilene, I had a neighbor, flew for the Air Force, his name was Mike. Mike was not a believer. Uh, I befriended Mike, we would play golf together, we would play tennis together. A time or two he would come to church with me. I did my best to try to bring Mike to faith. And then Mike was about to be transferred. He was about to leave, I knew I'd probably never see him again in my life. It was my last shot, so I took Mike to supper at Olive Garden. And I thought, what's the point of being subtle? I just looked across the table and said, Mike, why won't you believe? And so Mike started down the road that I've been down many times with people. First was all the thing about science makes it hard to believe. And we talked about that. And I said, you realize, of course, Mike, some of the most brilliant scientists in the world do believe. Have you really investigated the science question or are you just saying that? Well, I'm just saying that. But then he went off down the road of hypocritical Christians. And it's hard to believe in Jesus because Christians are such hypocrites. And I said, I admit many Christians are hypocrites. Do you think Jamie and I are hypocrites? I mean, I'm not saying we're perfect, but are we trying to be authentic? Well, yeah, you really are. And there's a lot of people like us, Mike. And then I thought, well, what, what do I have to worry about? I'm never going to see him again. So I said, Mike, here's the deal. Your problem with faith is not science. Your problem with faith is not hypocrites. Your problem, Mike, is that you're too wicked. What did I have to lose? He was moving. I said, Mike, you know that if you put faith in Jesus, you're going to have to totally recalibrate your life and your priorities, and you don't want to. So it's easier for you to hide behind the cover of doubt than it is to face your own rebellion against God. And he said, after a silence, you're right. And doubt often becomes the cover 
for rebellion. See, I believe God is more willing to reveal himself than some of us are willing to find him. Just like he did with Thomas, Jesus will go through walls to meet you where you are. Faith is a fight and God will fight for your faith. But he's going to fight with you, not against you. You've got to take a step in the direction of Jesus and see if he's true. Let me give you an example from the Bible. John chapter 4, this father comes to see Jesus upset because his son far away is very, very sick. Now it says in verse 50 that Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. Now notice the man took Jesus at his word and left. He came to get Jesus to take him home, but he said, I'm going to step out. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to act on what I just heard. So he starts heading back home. Now verse 53, on his way back, his servants meet him and they tell him the son is well. And the father realized this was at the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his household believed. See, he didn't come to faith until he was further down the road, but he did take a step in the direction. He took him at his word. He took a step and on the way, Jesus showed up big time because God Fights for faith. Just one person wanting to overcome unbelief matters to God. I got a good friend in Atlanta, Don McLaughlin. He's preached here before. He's been very sick lately. He's been in the hospital for some weeks. Just got out. But of course, if you know Don, you know wherever he is, he's going to witness to Christ. And he did all over that hospital to all of his nurses. And as he was sharing his faith one night in bed, one of his nurses just told him, said, Don, I don't believe. She went on to say, six years ago, my sister died in a car wreck, and I decided then I could never believe. But Don's winsome, gentle, loving witness impacted her. So much so that when he was finally released from the hospital, she wanted to be with him some more and with his wife Susan. So she says, now when you get back to preaching again at your church, what day will that be? I got on the web, but I found out where your church is and I think I want to come. And here's what she said. I don't know about belief, but I think I would really enjoy the community. And I'm telling you, if she will take that step In the direction of Jesus. He will show up. And help her overcome. Her unbelief. You know why? Because God is greater than your doubts. God does a lot with a little. See I I know with it. It would be great if we all just had great faith. But do you know that the object of your faith is more important than your volume? Jesus even said, if you had little faith, then just a little, like a mustard seed. God could do something with that. Mountains could move. Because his faithfulness isn't limited by my wavering, struggling faith. 
And so you need to be honest to God. God knows how to do a lot with a little. In his book, Case for Faith, Lee Strobel tells about a young evangelist, 30 years old. He's walking in the San Bernardino Mountains, holding his Bible. A lot of people had, with big degrees, had attacked this Bible and told him how untrustworthy this Bible was. It was full of myths and fables. And he was about to go preach, and he didn't know if he could do that or not. So after a long time of wrestling with God, he got down on his knees, and he prayed this prayer. And he said, Father, I'm going to accept this as I word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond intellectual questions and doubts. And I'm going to believe this to be your inspired word. And a few days later, young Billy Graham preached the Los Angeles Revival, one of the greatest in history, and launched one of the greatest ministries of our lifetime. I'm not going to let my doubts keep me from God. Because God is greater than my doubts. So I'd like you to bow your heads, please. I'm going to close the prayer, but I'd ask you to start it. I'd like you to be honest enough just for the next few seconds to admit in one area of your life, in this area, God, I struggle believing. I struggle accepting, trusting. In this area, God, faith is hard for me. Just admit it. And then ask God to give you a faith step you could take. Oh God, I, I thank you that there's room in the kingdom of God for Thomases. I thank you, Father, that you do not view with contempt those of us who struggle to believe. Who are still on the journey, still navigating the speed bumps. It encourages me to know, God, that ultimately my relationship with you depends more on your faithfulness than it does on my faith. And I rest in that. And I do believe. But I ask you, God, to come and help us when it's hard to believe. Thank you for being a God who is greater than all we deal with. And help us to believe that. For the sake, the glory, the name of Jesus. Amen. Even when it's hard to hold on to faith, you've got a God that will not let go of you. We're going to praise him now. Be standing. This is a good time for you to come if you want to confess Jesus. Be baptized into Jesus. You come let us know while we worship.